so ha happy Easter. I love to see all your faces and the families associated with the baptism today. That's very, very cool. Welcome if this is your first time. Uh, the kids will stay in the service because it's super important to have children present, I believe, on one of the most consequential uh, Christian holidays on, in our calendar year. So if it's a little loud, don't worry. If it's a little squirmy, don't fret. That's normal. But what I would like you to do is you got to use your imagination this morning. Can everybody do that? Yeah. If you can use your imagination, and if you need to close your eyes to do this, you can do that, because it may actually help. I want you to imagine silence. And when I think of silence, I often think of darkness. But not brooding, dread-filled darkness, just dark, silent emptiness. But not sorrowful emptiness, because this is actually the very beginning of time. This is the very beginning of creation. And just imagine and feel that first millisecond of silence and peace and wholeness when all things made sense. As you pan out in your mind, you can see our earth kind of floating through the twinkling black of space, that blue, green, whitish marble just effortlessly moving around its warm star. As you narrow in closer, you can see the oceans swirling and the land peeking out in all of its color. And as you come closer and closer, you can see the lush green of the bounty of the earth. And it's tranquil. It's right. It's whole. And as you come further down to view, you can see a lush garden where the, the trees are full of fruit, delicious, sweet, good fruit, and the ground is bursting forth with crop, good, delicious, nutritious food, and the brook is babbling, and the sun is just cresting over the horizon, and the dew is spread across the leaves of the grass, and the creatures begin to stir, and the birds begin to chirp, and Adam and Eve set to their day. Those first people, those first sentient human beings endowed with the Spirit of God have been set to earth, set to purpose in this beautiful garden. And they wake up like they would have with kind of this peace and this happiness. And their work isn't work and toil and hardship. Their work is to wander and name creatures and pluck fruit and eat and explore and play and grow in unity and bond with each other. And they're whole. Their life is filled with life. Their breath is filled with energy and purpose. And they're set in this beautiful world as they're traversing this beautiful garden, this perfect ideal Eden. But they're not alone. 
There's something else in this land. Something that actually kind of knits it all together. Every molecule, every fiber, every piece of dirt, every droplet of water, every molecule of air is woven together with the presence of God, the Creator. And He's in this world. He is the sustainer of it. He is birthed to life and He is overseeing it with joy. And he makes it all so. And in the cool of the night, he actually comes down and he wanders through in union with his creation, with his creatures, with his people. And he loves his people. He loves Adam and Eve. And he, he set them to work and they have become co-creators in this world with him. He's given his spirit, his image bearingness, his likeness to them. And this world is just incredible. But there's a serpent slithering around in this place that hates the purposes of God. And this serpent sneakily tricks these people into eating from the one tree that they're not supposed to. The one boundary that God had set, the Creator had said, you have the whole world, you have dominion of this whole world, it's good, it's perfect, it's peaceful, just don't eat from the tree, knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. And the serpent like the sound of that, and he lures these people, Adam and Eve, to eat from this tree, and the mistrust that they have in their heart towards the Creator, the selfishness, it cracks open, and sin enters this world, and their hubris, and their self-centeredness, they've tarnished this perfection. And now they're going to feel death, the pangs and the pains of suffering of death. Now they're expelled from this garden, now there's a separation between the unity that God had with his people that was so effortless before. Now it's going to take work, real work, and it isn't going to cost life. But God didn't give up on his creation. He didn't say, oh, you've ruined it, you've soiled it, it's done, it's over. Time and time and time and time again, the creator re-entered the world through people, through prophets, through wonders, through signs, through miracles, through words, Deeds, actions, over and over and over again, trying to bring back people to this place of unity. But the more this sin kind of spread throughout humanity and spread throughout time, the more tangled up people became in evil, corruption, rot, decay. The serpent was having a heyday, kind of eroding this goodness that, that God had made. And it got worse and worse and worse. And it almost seemed, from a distance it would seem, the harder God tried to break in, the more people resisted. He chose a people, the Israelites, to be his carriers of this blessing, of this goodness, of this unity. And even his own people would reject him time and time again. But he didn't give up. He loved his creation he loved his people. And he said, I got a plan. I will send actually my son in the flesh to this very world in which I have made. I will enter the world myself. And Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a life 
We came into his, the fullness of his time. He announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. And he, it was the living embodiment of this way of being. Of what it would be to be God in the flesh on earth. What it would look like. How would God treat people? How would God orient himself towards creation? What would it look like if, if the creator actually came down to his, to his creation? And walked among it. And Jesus did this for three solid years. And he met and he healed and he talked and he preached. And he performed miraculous wonders. And he spoke deeply impacting words. And he met with all these people that would have been on the outside of this tangled evil. And he stitched humanity back together. And it was remarkable. And his imprint on society and culture at the time was undeniable. But the serpent hated what Jesus was doing. He still hated God. More he hated his creatures. And he didn't give up. He said, I, I, I fooled you once, I'll fool you again. And the serpent wove around these people and drummed up an army of, of anger and violence. And there's only one place for it to go. The serpent had already kind of spoiled the garden. He'd already caused people to fall. Now the serpent said, there's, you, you think God, you entering into this world, you have a chance in my dominion? And after this army of violence and the mob of hate all funneled toward Jesus, they put him to death. They killed him. They nailed him to a cross like a Roman petty thief. God incarnate, dead on a cross. And the serpent believes he's one. What else could God the Creator possibly do to rectify this? He made the world, granted. He made the creatures, I'll give him that. I fooled him once. He came to the world as a form of his human self, God in flesh, and I killed him. I won. And when they take the body of Jesus down and they stuff him into a tomb. His friends are gone, scattered, terrified, hiding out that they're next, fearful that they're next. And he lay in a tomb and there's, a, there's this another silence that follows as, the, as a, the stone is rolled over the tomb. There's a darkness, a silence as Jesus' body lay dead on the cold slab of stone. But God wasn't done. No one expected what was to happen next. Even dead things can't stay dead when there's a living eternal in it. The servant didn't see it coming. His the disciples didn't see it coming. The world didn't see it coming. 
And at the dawn of a new day, on a Sunday morning, as the sun is cresting over the hill and spreading a golden thin veil across the night sky, some women went to work. See, they hadn't been able to finish embalming Jesus. They hadn't been able to finish. They were rushed. They, they took him down the cross so quickly, and the Sabbath came. They, they couldn't finish. The burial process was necessary to put someone in a tomb. So at the very, very earliest possible moment that they could, without breaking Sabbath law, they got up, and they traversed a, that dew-filled grass in the cold of the morning and ventured bravely by themselves to the place of the tomb where they knew they were going to encounter Roman guard. And they did not know what was going to be there and how they'd be received. They didn't care. They were propelled by courage and love for their friend. But when they came to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. The worst possible thing that they could have seen. There was fear, legitimate fear, that someone was going to come and roll that stone and steal Jesus' body out and do who knows what with. Lay it waste, throw it, in the, throw it away, make some false claim. Their stomachs dropped when they saw the tomb. I don't think they were excited. They had no idea what to expect. And as they come to the tomb and they look inside and they meet this messenger who says, what are you doing here? Something remarkable happens. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. She's weeping, rightfully so. Where is my friend? I just wanted to bury him properly. And as she wept, she knelt into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there dressed in white, one at her head, the other at her foot. Where Jesus' body had been laid, they said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. Who's they? And after she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, Woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? This is where you have to pay attention in the scriptures. Remember, remember, remember. One word can change a whole story. One single word makes this all make sense. She, Mary, thinking that Jesus was the gardener, said, Mister, if you took him, the gardener, taking Jesus. Tell me where you to put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. Turning his face to him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, teacher. She, she knew who he was. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. She, thinking that he was the gardener. John is not wasting words. When he tells us this story, this is not an accident. Mary comes at the morning light of this new day. The stones rolled away, and where is Jesus? He's out in the garden. He's in the garden. 
back where it all began. Walking in the cool of the morning, in the dawn of a new creation. Emerging from the tomb as a new Adam. The serpent has lost. He can't do anything about this. There's nothing he can do. He can't tempt this new Adam with forbidden fruit. He can't kill this new Adam on a cross. Jesus, the gardener, in a new creation as the new Adam, extends new life to everybody. And I think actually Easter Sunday is kind of a weird Sunday. Weird's not the right word. Because it's fascinating if we're to take the resurrection story at its face, at what it actually means. And I don't mean this tritely, and I don't mean this as like a gotcha. But truly, theologically, as followers of Jesus, every day is Resurrection Sunday. Every day is an invitation to join the new Adam in this new world where we get to be new humans, set to work for purpose, to live life wholly, fully, to eat good food, to have babies and family and celebrate, knowing now that the, the tricks and the foils of evil have actually been defeated. There's no serpent that can take this down because God himself has made it new. And we get to participate and co-create and join him in that work, in that life and in that love. And I think that's a really beautiful story. Today is a very special day, and it's not an accident that we highlighted the India uh, Wells projects. Water is very important, if you didn't know. Water is like uh, deeply significant to our physical health, and it is deeply spiritual and meaningful to our spiritual health. And this morning, we actually get to baptize and be participants in the baptism of two people in our congregation. And baptism is this ancient symbol of this marking, of this passing, of a, of a stamp to say yes to that new Adam. To say yes, that I want to be woven into that story of this new creation. I want to be a part of a community of God. I want to contribute. I want to breathe that air and live that life. And so we're really excited for our baptisms this morning. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.